filibuster is supported through Patreon by listeners like you. Check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster. We also get support from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions for the District of Columbia and Northern Virginia. They handle workplace discrimination, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, and a whole lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Seats behind my seats at Audi Field uh, do not belong to season ticket holders. So over the, the three games that have been there, it's been three very different groups of people there. And juggalos? Uh, no, no juggalos. Uh, okay. The crew haven't come to town, so no, no juggalos. Oh uh, yeah, good point. Uh, Cincinnati, when they come, also could bring juggalos. It's a, it's an Ohio thing, as near as I can tell. The yeah, first week, just, it's nah. not just an Ohio thing. I know. I just like to make fun of Ben, who is not a juggalo. Look, if you guys want to talk about juggalos, we can do an hour on juggalos. <laughs> I can do an <laughs> hour on juggalos without any help. All right, Jason, I think that's that's an idea for a bonus episode for our, our Patreon patrons. Okay. We should bring on Caitlin Buckley to talk about juggalos. She, she's got direct experience. Uh, not that she was very happy about it, but it happened. Anyway, the first week, it was definitely the uh, first time soccer crowd, young professionals there as a social thing. Um, they, they, they were excited to be there, but they, they didn't bring a lot to the table, I guess. Um, against Colorado this weekend, it was uh, three young men of, of color who were very one of whom was very knowledgeable very into the soccer and they were all really really into the game they were uh far and away some of my favorite neighbors i've ever had at at a soccer game surpassed only by the little girl who sat behind me for the red bulls we sit uh near the supporters end uh but on the sideline and uh, six rows up and this little girl sat down with her brother and her dad during the warmups while the red bulls are warming up in front of us wastes no time and just yells i hate you red bulls <laughs> it's perfect it's so good her her dad was then teaching her brother some choice swears to yell at the red bulls it was it was great that i the swearing and teaching kids to swear i'm not going to take a position on it but the little girl just sitting down and in her very very sweet voice angrily saying i hate you red bulls uh, it just made my heart so happy that's pretty great i approve of manipulating your children into hating brands yeah, that's fair. Uh, I'm I'm more teaching my my kids. Well, my daughter so far, my my son just likes clapping along with the supporters. Um, but my my daughter loves Talon and loves Lucho and loves DC United, and she knows who Wayne Rooney is. So I I feel like I'm I'm doing an okay job right now with the four year old. Does she like Talon's new house? She she does like Talon's new house. She'd like it more if we could ever find Talon. Mm. Uh, which may have come up on the season ticket holder survey that went around today. <laughs> uh, the the team was already aware of my request for more talent visibly and, and in person. Um, but that that's my family. Not everybody's family is as obsessed with, with talent. Hey, Hey, welcome in. This is filibuster, the black and red United. And I hate you red bulls.
podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined as always by Jason Anderson and Ben Bromley. We're all from blackandredunited.com, where we cover DC United and a lot more, but mostly DC United right now. Uh, that's what we're talking about. There were two games last week, as I alluded to. Uh, United fell one to nothing to the Red Bulls and beat the Colorado Rapids two to one on a late own goal created by Ulysses Segura. We'll break down both those games and we will preview this weekend's upcoming tilt in Montreal. Before we do anything, though, Jason Anderson, what are you drinking? Uh, I'm keeping it fairly simple tonight. I have uh, some jalapeno limeade and some uh, mezcal on ice and uh, that's it. Sweet, that, sounds, sweet and spicy. that sounds delightful. Yeah, it's good. Uh, they make that the jalapeno limeade is at Trader Joe's if you're looking for it. Okay. I may pick that up the next time. Trader Joe's, please send us money. Yeah, seriously. This is not the first time Trader Joe's has come up on this podcast. Pay us, please. Ben. I had a a bunch of drinks this week that would have been podcast worthy, but I'm not drinking them and would have involved a story, but I'm not drinking them right now. I am uh, going back to my Midwestern roots and having an A&W cream soda with some bourbon. I mean, the bourbon isn't especially Midwestern. I mean, but... A&W cream soda is very Midwestern. Kentucky is, is close to the Midwest. It's, right, it's right. Midwestern by some metrics. Uh, don't, get me into, don't get me into definitions of the Midwest. That will <laughs> blow up this introduction into something far too long. <laughs> so, okay, Ohio. So we've got our, our Juggalo hour followed by our, our uh, Midwestern Interpretations hour. All right, yeah. Quick question, quick question. Is Pittsburgh the Midwest? No! <laughs> I am drinking uh, a wonderful beer from the state of Maryland that I had so much trouble finding this year until a couple weeks ago. I found it uh, at Giant in Shaw, and then I found it again this past weekend. It's Dead Rise, and it's good. It's their Ooh, old I had, day. I had a Dead Rise like ale. two weeks ago, and it was great. It's such a good beer. And, it's been a good uh, match this year. Yeah, they, they really, changed they the really nailed it this time. I yeah, think every they, year there's been a slight change in how much Old Bay is in there. Mm-hmm. Um, the first year they they went kind of soft on it. The next year they went maybe uh, real aggressive. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think the third year they're kind of off a little bit. But this year um, it's been it's been right on. It's been right where yeah. it should be. They should they should do exactly what they've done. Well, they actually they changed the label for it this year. They they took yeah. out all the yellow and made it a white background. Um, maybe that was their their way of saying we got it now. <laughs> Could be. Yep. Uh, either way, please make more of this. Make so much more of this beer, um, Flying Dog, and and you know feel free to pay us too. Uh, that that's just a generally applicable McCormick's. statement. Pay us too. <laughs> Uh, former <laughs> former Seagram's Distilleries in Indiana that make bourbon and rye. Please also sponsor us. You're welcome to. Well, we, we welcome your money too. I don't think we want to be particularly associated with the Seagram's right now. No, 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 no. Formerly Seagram's. Okay, but now the Seagram's errors are now involved in a sex cult. Yeah, but I don't. Uh, I want their former assets to pay us, not okay. not them. Six Colts, please do not contact us. Yes, uh, <laughs> you are an exception, uh, especially to, like you know the, the ones that have been out lately have been branding people and bilking them out of money and leave us alone. Yeah, uh, don't it, brand me. <laughs> <laughs> don't brand me, bro. Two very different games at Audi Field last week, which listeners to last week's show. Uh, should have known to expect 
because we we got into the differences between them. Unfortunately, the, those differences extended into the results. As I said at the top, DC United zero, Red Bulls one on Wednesday night, and then United beat the Rapids two to one on Saturday. Um, this continues another trend that we we talked about recently, where United can beat the lower tier teams in MLS, but but can't quite come to grips with with the elite it's almost like this i mean it's good that united are beating the bad teams because that's not something they were doing uh very very recently and now they've kind of suddenly ascended to the middle class but not quite grasping the elite yet yeah i mean this was uh it kind of drew the line just like the atlanta game did it kind of drew the line um to show us the the path uh is a long one um the red bulls were all over DC from the start. Um, never mind. Well, I'm, we're going to spend plenty of time on the goal, but um, even if the goal were a great goal, um, the the problem is really that it was just all Red Bulls for, for 20, 25 minutes of this game. Um, and even if you go through the whole game, um, both teams were good at preventing the other from playing a ton of constructive soccer, but that means that the Red Bulls got to play their preferred style. They like to keep the passing accuracy down lower than most teams. They want it to be hectic and um, kind of sloppy. And in this game, neither team was completing 70% of their passes. There were not that many shooting opportunities for either team. It was kind of a, you know, it, it, it kind of reminds me of the original Peter Vermes um, sporting Kansas city teams where he, he insisted they were playing, uh, beautiful attacking soccer and everyone else was like, no, your guys are just tackling everybody as hard as they can uh, and then profiting from the pinball that results. And yeah, they're just doing the it Bulls further are, up. the. Yeah. The Red Bulls are doing it further up and, and they're really good at pinball um, and you don't want to get into a game of pinball with them. And DC did, and they lost. I uh, will, we'll get more into that game later. I think we have to go to uh, the, the headline from from this week, which is Wayne Rooney's first goal in MLS for DC United came Saturday. Uh, came along with a, a broken nose, a bloody face, and five stitches over his left eye. But uh, he got his first goal. He came in as a sub against New Jersey and then played all 90 against Colorado, which is nice to see his fitness has ramped up to where he can at least be on the field for almost the whole 90 minutes when his face isn't bloody uh i i think one theme from both games that we saw is that the team was better when he was on the field uh united weren't in the game at all until rooney came on as a sub then they were in the game a little bit they they, he didn't turn the game around by any means but but the team was improved and he was obviously important in in the colorado game ben what's your early early verdict on on Rooney and how he fits into the team. I think Rooney fits into this formation the best uh, out of anyone so far this year. Um, and I think when he's not able to be on the field, they have to significantly enough change it to make up for the fact that he's not drawing attention and he's not uh, making people concentrate on him. I don't think a as the rest of this team has built so far. I don't think a one striker formation works in the way that they want it to work 
without Rooney on the field. And they, so they need to change it up a little more when he's not there. When he is there, he lets the attacking midfield, Paul Ariola, uh, Zoltan Stieber, Lucho Acosta, Emil Assad, he lets all of them do what they want to do. And it needs to get better. It's not quite there yet, as we saw against the Red Bulls. It needs to get better. But he helps them do what they want to be able to do. And when he's not there, they can't do that. So they've got to change it up. So hopefully as we go down the stretch with a lot of home games, not a lot of travel, hopefully Rooney will be able to do what he needs to be able to do and stay on the field a lot. Yeah. It's worth noting. Darren Maddox is going to get plenty of run in this, both as a sub and as a a starter, because games are going to come fast and furious. There's, I I think as many weeks from here on out with midweek games as there are not. And, and that's going to require rotation. Uh, And hopefully we get the Darren Maddox that, was was playing in between the time Rooney was announced and he actually joined the team where we had this relentless, completely dialed in version of Darren Maddox who scored, you know, over half a season, more goals than he ever has in a full MLS season. Right, and I, I also and think... not the guy we, get, we saw against the Red Bulls who was passive and reactive and just didn't seem to be fully engaged in the game. He that His game against the Metros was one of the worst games I've seen him have this year. Darren Maddox. Yeah, yeah and uh, going back to what they need to do, I, I'm going to not bite your bullet and 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 pivot away. But um, I think what they need more of is what Darren, what what uh, Russell Knaus provided, and if if he's on the field with Darren Maddox, I think it's a very different story than what we've seen so far this year with Darren Maddox in the mid and the midfield that they've had. Well, let's talk about Knaus. He he made his first start of the year on Saturday against Colorado, replacing Paul Ariola, who was suspended for yellow card accumulation. Uh, after getting a yellow shortly after, he had a goal correctly disallowed for offside against the Red yeah. Bulls. Uh, it was close, but it was it was the correct call. It was. I say begrudgingly. It was. Anyway, Russell Knaus came back first start of the year after uh, spending the first half of the year injured and in various stages of recovery from injury. And all he did was have a team of the week performance and just completely boss that midfield. Uh, Jason, I mean, this is reminds us why we loved Canal so much. And so quickly after the, the close of the transfer window last summer. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think maybe one of the most telling things was uh, after the, the Red Bulls game, um, ben Olson said that Canals made as many tackles in his 23 minutes as United had made as a team in the entire first half of the game. Um, I don't know if that actually is technically true, but it certainly felt that way. He um, was really, it, it, you know, 23 minutes, he was heavily involved defensively. Um, his passing accuracy was for this game in a game where no one was passing very well. His was better than most, um, maybe a little more, there was a lot of sideways stuff to fullbacks because DC was trailing and the Red Bulls were packed in. So, you know, Canals knows that he's not necessarily the guy to break that open. Um, so he's just trying to feed people who will do it. Um, so maybe it feels a little like he's playing it safe. But um, I think in this circumstance, this was he, he did a very good job with what he needed to be doing. 
Um, and, and I think he also helps turn the, the tide of the game a little bit. It, it feels like um, when you've got Canals in the midfield, it feels like you're on the front foot because he's in people's face. He's always um, able to chase down these lost causes to, to pop balls loose that don't normally come loose. Um, it, it's a similar in its way. It's similar to what we got when Ariola was moved into the middle where um, the range that he gets covered very quickly, uh, you know, there's just no time to breathe in that midfield. And, and he's more physical than, than Ariola. He's a better, better tackler than Ariola. Um, but it, it's a similar idea where um, it's just, it's hard to do any, if you, if you're the other team and you want to play into the middle at all, it's really hard to get in there because you've got these guys that are fast, that, uh, that know they're going to get to the ball first or that they're going to get there so fast that your first touch is already in danger before you even got the ball. Um, and it changes how teams play. It forces them to play a lower percentage game going down the wing where the touchline is hemming them in and you also end up with a lot of crosses, which they don't, you know, a lot of teams outside of Vancouver, um, most teams in the league are trying not to have a ton of crosses in games because they know that means that it's a low percentage thing and they're probably playing from behind. Um, and when you add um, canals to that midfield, you really start to make it, you know, j- just extremely difficult to do anything with him in there. And um, the Rapids found that out the hard way um, on the weekend. And the Red Bulls also, uh, you know, they've got Tyler Adams, who's also, you know, very well known for being that kind of player. He does the same kind of thing. Um, and Canals doesn't get anywhere near as much attention as Adams. But I think this was a game where we saw that, the gap between those two isn't that great. And I know Adams is much younger and that's why he's much more hyped. Um, but in 2018 right now, uh, if you just put these two teams on, on the field, Canals' job with this group is essentially to provide the same sort of bite and range that Adams provides. And, you know, Olsen's got a, a he's got a good problem in front of him, but he does have a problem where how do you accommodate uh, Canals and Durkin and Acosta and Ariola in a midfield that only carries three players or a central midfield that only carries three players. Yeah, that's something I actually want to get into a little bit. Who do you want to see against Montreal out of those four? Who sits? Because Acosta, he had the assist on Rooney's goal. He has, he's the team leader in assists. He has eight assists through the first half of the season. United now 17 games in, halfway through the year, uh, only played a small handful of home games um, and manages to have eight assists. That's on pace for doing the math 16 or more. If you assume the team scores more at home, uh, which is a pretty good year, 16 assists. Uh, you feel like he has to be out there. Ariola has been a revelation. Canals is obviously all action all the time. Durkin provides a passing element. Nobody else does. Ben who sits. I think my midfield is, Knaus at defensive midfielder and Ariola and Acosta uh, in front of him. I think at this point they need to score a lot of goals, and I think Knaus can do the defensive work and still shuttle around passes, and then Ariola and Acosta can do uh, more incisive pass work and attacking. And I think it's, I think Durkin is great. I think. Knaus fits better with the way this team is built right now. Uh, I and, think. Oh, go ahead, Dan. 
I, I was going to say, I'm inclined to agree for a slightly different reason. I think I, you know, we're all, all three of us are big fans of Chris Durkin and uh, would go to bat for his inclusion. But I think Knaus at the number six, the his tackling is is what makes the difference. Durkin is underrated in his ability to to read the game and intercept passes, but we the the team's been lacking a ball winner in in that deeper part of midfield. I think and uh, Knaus can can pass pretty well too. Not not the the long range big switches the way way Durkin does, but I think he it's worth trying him at the number six to get a different look at, at the defensive element of that position to see if he can protect the back line a little bit better because they need it. Uh, I'm going to get a little clever. Um, Uh I think for Montreal um, with Ignacio Piatti out on the left, I think the, the, there should be a really hard think given to keeping Durkin in, playing Knauss at the eight, keeping Acosta in the lineup and moving Ariola onto the right and, and bringing Zoltan Stieber um, off the bench in this one. Um, giving, given that we're not, even if DC signs a fullback, which they should as soon as possible, we can't expect that new player to walk into right back and be excellent uh, immediately in, on this short notice. It's just not going to happen. Um, so O'Neill Fisher, most likely, or Jalen, even if it's Jalen Robinson, it, it, anyone that we're going to put out there is up against Ignacio Piatti and is going to need help. Um, and the best wide midfield on the team, as far as helping back uh, defensively is Paul Ariola. So yeah. I think for this specific game, Olsen kind of has an out in that there's a path to putting all four of them on the field for a specific reason. Um, but then after that, I, you know, I don't know because at home, um, Durkin's passing range keeps the team on the front foot, opens the field up against, you know, teams like Colorado who came in to sit deep and, and congest everything that Durkin's, uh, passing range is very valuable in that instance. Um, but at the same time, it's hard to, it's hard to think of the team without canal somewhere in there because he's immediately been so good. He, he hasn't looked like someone that missed half a season with a knee injury. He looks like someone that, um, was you know raring to go off of like a suspension or something um so it, it's a it's a difficult problem to sort it, it might become a thing where it's like you know for montreal maybe it's best to have Ariola on the right maybe um after that you look at the scenario and say this game we need durkin and Ariola and acosta but the next game maybe we need canals Ariola and acosta and and it might become a game to game thing but it's it's good where it's not just these are our three midfielders and that's all we can do. Now we've got the ability to look at it, take different looks for different opponents. Um, and that'll also keep people fresh because as Adam said, the game, the number of games coming up is uh, it's too much, too many games. <laughs> can it's I, a little absurd. Can I talk about uh, wingers tracking back and the uh, Colorado Rapids goal? I, yeah. So I watched. I, I was rewatching this uh, uh, before we went on air, and I rewatched it probably six or seven times, uh, especially on the tactical camera view that they had briefly. And as another aside, I, we'll, we we can either get into it or not later. But the directing of soccer games so far this year has been awful, and the 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 views available have been awful. But that's that, that's that's another issue. 
while um, we're on that though, I want to say that the main camera at Audi Field is zoomed out too far. That's my one note on the directing front. I want it to be zoomed in more. Just okay. a little bit. I mean, my my note on the tactical cam view or all the views on uh, Colorado's uh, second goal is they were zoomed in too much and I couldn't see enough of the field to uh, con- conclusively come to a decision. But, well, the, uh, the big, my biggest issue on that goal to get into the substance of the goal is it isn't any like the that play set up so quickly and so stupidly um all everyone in united uh everyone on united was pushed up essentially into colorado's half for a free kick that o'neill fisher then took short to kofi opari who didn't know what to do with it so tried to pass it back to fisher and then colorado intercepts this short pass and is off to the races it was such a ridiculous play <laughs> right but uh, i was i was looking at the tactical cam view and on kellen acosta's run uh, part of it is yamil Assad just walked he could have run back and tracked uh kellen acosta he was one of two available options the other option is and since this was off camera i couldn't tell but the way he ran makes me assume that Joseph Mora was tracking somebody out on the wing and then sliced back in when he saw Kellen Acosta running in on goal alone. But because of the way the camera was, I can't be sure that he was actually tracking someone and not just marking space. Right. Either way, it was the the wrong decision by him, which he's uh, made a few really questionable decisions in defensive transition. Oh, for sure. But... uh, Speaking of, like I was like I was saying to introduce this. Speaking of wingers, Emil Assad, like once the turnover happened and uh, Kellen Acosta was on on his run, and he was like in the same position that Assad was in, and Assad was just like, nah, not not doing it. Well, that, I mean, that kind of gets into um, what was really upsetting about the Colorado game was it you know the the game never should have been this close and it seemed like there was a lot of united feeling comfortable um with a one nothing lead in a game where the other team had missed a penalty up to that point um and you know after the first half was actually pretty even which is sad um because the rapids were playing a they have used that diamond once before but it was a mid game it was they had a rain delay in RSL they were the game was delayed by like 90 minutes for lightning or something like that and they switched to the diamond in the locker room um but that was it that was their one that was the one time they've done that out in the open for everyone to see um so this was their real debut of that formation as their starting plan A for a game um and the Rapids are bad and the, the game shouldn't have been so even before halftime. Um, but United came out in the second half and they were playing the kind of soccer that we should have seen from the start. They were in total control, except they didn't have the second goal to show for it. Um, and I think, you know, part of the lackadaisical tracking back was people were frustrated because the set piece, the, the short or the quick set piece that went awry is a frustrating thing to have happen. It's the kind of thing where you want to throw your hands up because like, why, why on earth would you have done this? Um, but you still have to make the run back. Um, you still have to be aware that it's the 82nd minute and it's, you're hanging on to a one, nothing lead. You still have to be engaged enough. Um, and Ben, I think you were right. That was Mora, the player that you were not 100% sure of who it was. It uh-huh. was Mora. Um, I'm okay. looking, I, 
I pulled up the replay, which is actually. I, I, I know it was more about. I just don't know if he like had somebody out there that he was actually covering or not. I couldn't. I just couldn't tell because right. the the field was cut off. Yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah. if he was out there covering somebody or if he was just out there. Uh, I think he was probably out there um, in the attacking posture because United had thrown everyone forward. So I think he was just pushed up, thinking that he had to an, an attack to put on and then just had a, a ton of ground to cover uh, to get back in time. Um, yeah. But if because, that was, the, if that was the case, if he wasn't covering somebody that he stayed out wide far too long, based on what I saw, well, like, it, he was only justified being out there if there was somebody there, but the, we're getting into technicalities where it was a, it, it was a double breakdown there. I mean, the, the real problem is the turnover from the, the, the free yes. kick. Um, when you have that many numbers up into the other team's end and you give the ball away that cheaply, that is everything else happens because of that. That's the uh, foundation of this goal is, is that, um, you know, just not executing on a very simple play. Um, and it's, you know, how many times this season have we talked about uh, someone in the back for DC United not executing on something that's simple? Um, right. So here we are again. And, um, you know, Kellen Acosta did a great job with the chip. Um, it's a very difficult yeah. finish. Um, that was a one in a million shot. Honestly. Right. The, you know, the fact that he fit it between Steve Birnbaum's head and the crossbar, which th- there was like a couple millimeters on either side for that to fit. Um, it's a great goal, uh, but it never, never should have happened. Um, and that is, that's the frustration for me in this game is that, um, United should have had this thing done and dusted. They never should have had to struggle um, or feel any stress uh, from this one at all. And instead they kind of had a stressful first half because it was very much uneventful and even um, they got. Well, the lucky and then, break. yeah. And then a penalty um, because right. junior Moreno, even on his best games is good for one really boneheaded mistake in United's end. Right. And, and, uh, you know, and, and this one, it was giving up a penalty. And it balanced out because, um, uh-huh. you know, or I shouldn't say it balanced out. It went, the whole thing went DC's way because on the two biggest mistakes of the half by either team, Moreno's penalty hits, uh, becomes a shot off the post instead of a goal, which almost never happens. Mm-hmm. And uh, Wayne Rooney's shot uh, doesn't get safe because it just so happens that Colorado's starting goalkeeper is the worst goalkeeper in MLS. Right. Um, and that play was started by a junior Moreno tackle. So That's true. He didn't. He, he did make up for in his way. He made up for that um, penalty. But um, on another night, that penalty goes in the back of the net, and against another team, Rooney's shot gets saved. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe it pounces. Maybe sometimes it bounces back across in the middle, and someone uh, follows up and finishes it. But um, we don't know. We can't. You know, we're, it's all hypothetical. But um, there was definitely a slice of luck on not conceding from the penalty and getting the one nothing lead um, well, and getting the two to one lead because uh, again, well, I'm the worst goalkeeper. The I'm I know. The well, I, I'm, I'm jumping ahead and the worst goalkeeper in MLS uh, gave DC United their second goal too, because he just stood there and got beaten at his near post off of a terrible angle. And yes, it was a, a, a deflection, but he was right there to block it. Yeah, it was weird. He was backpedaling. He was off balance. He was leaning the wrong way. Um, Tim Howard, at this point, this is my observation as someone who is not a professionally trained goalkeeper. Um, 
my observation is that he guesses a lot now. He knows he's not as quick as he used to be, and he tries to make up for it by trying to read the game and anticipating where the shot is going to go or where the ball is going to be and moving there first. And then when someone sees that and then shoots the other way, he's caught flat-footed. That's why he's allowed... I, I don't know if this tra- stat is tracked, but he's allowed probably more flat-footed goals where he's just on the balls of his feet, both hands in front of him, not diving, not leaning, just watching the ball go in next to him. He's had more of those than anyone I've ever seen this year. And it's because he's right. he, he's guessing and leaning the wrong way. Because he's bad. Well, yes, what he's, he's trying not, to do is he, he's trying to cheat, essentially. Yeah, he's trying to cheat exactly one right. side. Um because he figures something is going to happen. Um, and it's because his footwork is bad. And when, and when, when people talk about footwork with goalkeepers, they're not talking about dribbling moves or, or their first touch or their passing. They're talking about is their ability to set their feet quickly so they can do what they need to do. So they can make the jump left or right or up or whatever. Um, and anytime you see the goals that Howard has given up um, on both goals, his footwork is awful. Um, and there's not really, you know, his footwork was never great before, but he was quick enough to make up for it. Like once he did get his feet set, his reflexes and leaping and all that stuff, they were good, but that's all gone now. Um, so now what we're seeing is the consequences of not getting your feet in the right position to do what you need to do as a goalkeeper. Um, there's a reason why goalkeepers spend a lot of time shuffling their feet, hopping over things, and then having to make the save after they've landed on the ground, things like that in training. It's all to sharpen up your footwork and his footwork is a mess. Um, his reaction time is gone. He doesn't really have the physical ability to make those stops. And even with all that said, like I, I think the thing about the second goal that would have bothered me as a Rapids fan is that um, he seemed to be like backpedaling, mm-hmm. um, which is a strange choice because um, that cross was being contested by two different players and it deflects and he's, he's backpedaling, but he's not ever going to get to a place where he's going to be protecting the middle of the goal. He's just sort of backpedaling into the goal. Right. Um, Exactly. So he's kind of lost um, on the play. He's lost in where uh, he is in relation to his posts and where the danger is coming from. Um, So yeah, you know, it's, it's a, it's very fortunate for United that they happen to play against a goalkeeper who is having a bad season on a particularly bad night for him. Um, if you remember, he also is the um, the second shot off of the woodwork for DC came in the aftermath of him uh, taking an offside free kick and immediately giving it to Zoltan Stieber um, in a, in a fashion that made like like there was like an audible like chuckle in the crowd from it. It was uh, um, you'd almost want to accuse him of match fixing, uh, but it, it looked too silly and incompetent to be match fixing. Um, he's been, he's been doing this since, uh, the Trinidad game. He's been doing it since he came back to MLS. Well, that um, too. but, uh, you know, United got away with this one. The, uh, the whole game is, is them getting away with it. And, and, they deserve to win, I think, on the basis of their play. But when you're only up one nothing in the 81st minute or 82nd minute, um, you don't get to make a giant mistake and have people fall asleep. Um, because even even the Colorado Rapids of the world can equalize at that point. Um, and, you know, United is not 
so good that they can, they're not the kind of team that can just brush that off and, and you would expect them to then go out and score. They don't have that, um, that mental strength yet that we see in the best teams in the league. Um, Atlanta is the kind of team that would do, do that routinely. If you held on to one, nothing and then got your equalizer late, they, they're the kind of team that says like, we still have time to go get the second goal. Um, DC is not there yet. And they, I do believe um, one of the quotes from Ben Olsen after the game was that um, he felt that it was really important that they saw that they are able to take retake the lead after coughing up a goal because they've been coughing up goals with the lead all season long. They've been the worst team from a lead uh, in the entire league this season. Um, and he said, you know, in the locker room, it's very important for us that we actually got to watch. Um, we, we got to see ourselves figure out how to get, take the lead back after losing one. He's like, we don't want to lose the lead, but it, you know, it's a big deal for us that when we do lose the lead, we don't necessarily have the like six or seven recent games where we're like, Oh, you remember we had that lead and then we, we didn't come back. It, it happened again because it starts to be a self-fulfilling kind of uh, prophecy. And now they've got this other evidence where they say, Hey, the last time we did this, we can't, we still fought back and got something from it. Um, and I think that is important to them. Um, I think it was important for Segura to be involved in a goal. Um, it's been, he'd been out for so long that I think it's important for him to, um, you know, I think maybe it's a little much to celebrate when uh, it's an own goal um, to celebrate as if you scored yourself. Um, but that's his business. Um, but yeah, they, they cleared this bar by like the least you possibly can clear the bar. And it's the lowest bar in the league. Um so this has to be in its way, this has to be like their worst performance for the rest of the season. Yeah. We were talking before the show about what United needs to, to make the playoffs. And we obviously don't know what the, the cutoff will be where the, the sixth place team in the, the East, what their point total will be. But we kind of figure 47 is a, a decent target. It's not a hundred percent safe if you get there, but it's probably going to be above the red line. 47 points. United's on 17 right now. So they need 30 points from their final 17 games. That's not quite two points a game. Uh, if they win 10 of their 12 home games, that, that will get them there. Um, they have two, I guess two, two road games of the four that they have left the where result is probably within reach and two that are probably not. So you, you figure they need to win at least nine, maybe 10 of, of their home games from here on out. And that's, that's the hill United has to climb right now. Yeah. I thought we were talking about that in the second segment. Well, let's, I didn't say when we were going to talk about it. We, there was something else. (laughs) Oh, well, it's fine. I mean, okay. it's it's going to be on our minds no matter what. Um, yeah. And this and was a good place to drop it. It's yeah, the 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 door is open, but it's not open by a lot. Um, and a performance like this against anyone left on the schedule, even the bad teams left on the schedule is probably going to end up in drop points. Um, you know, a team like Orlando is capable of getting a draw or even a win against the DC we saw against the Rapids. Um, and there was some, I mean, I don't want to sound like the game was terrible because, you know, 
that period of time where United got comfortable against the Rapids was also some of their best soccer of the season outside of putting the ball away. Um, everything up to it was really, really, you know, from the start of the second half until around the 75th minute was when they really started to feel like, no, we've got this, this one's over. Um, and that's the, that creeping in, that shouldn't be happening. Um, this team isn't in a place where they should start to have problems with getting too comfortable. Um, I'm reminded of uh, one of the, I guess the 2007 DC team that won the supporter shield, but ended the season on kind of a little bit of a slide. And it was because they got so they, they were overconfident. They started to believe that it was just a, the game started and they would get the win from just being DC United. Um, And this team for in the second half kind of had that same air. And it's like, guys, we are still at the bottom of the standings. Like we don't have, We've not earned the right to feel that way, um, even against the Rapids. So, you know, I, I think there's a lot of lessons from the game, but not a lot of points soccer wise to to get into. It's it's a it's a mental game as far as the lessons go, rather than a soccer lesson. All right. Anything else before we take a quick break and come back to talk about Montreal? We we will talk more about standings and stuff there, but in the specific context of Montreal. Hearing nothing, we're going to call it. That's it for this segment. Please stick around. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean... Well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else, oh, nefarious, you are. In a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster. Just in case you weren't paying attention to the last segment, I did not misspeak when I said that DC United has four remaining road games in this season, in 2018. And one of them is this weekend. Uh, It's actually a deceptively big one. Uh, DC United heads up to Montreal. Watch it Saturday night, August 4th, 7.30 p.m. News Channel 8, your local Sinclair affiliate, um... Or ESPN Plus, if you're outside the the blackout radius. The Impact currently tied for fifth in the East on 28 points, but they've played a lot more games. They've played five more games than DC United, 
and on points per game, they're actually below the red line. They're in seventh place. In any event, uh, this is a big one. This is essentially a six-pointer for DC United. If they uh, can deny Montreal these home points and also bank some points of their own, it, it's a big help to DC United getting up to that sixth spot in the standings. Uh, because, Ben, this is this is a team that DC United is really going to be essentially be in it with likely come the end of the year. Yeah. uh, Based on all of the points per game projections and the advanced metrics, there are really two or three teams that DC United has a chance of catching. And one of them is the Montreal impact one. And one of them is the new England revolution. So if DC United is going to make it into the playoffs, it's almost definitely going to be at the expense of one of those two teams. Or uh, there's a slight possibility that because Toronto FC is good enough that they could possibly also challenge. So DC United could also be battling with them, but it's it, it, it's still the same. It's they're against the Montreal Impact, they're against the New England Revolution, and they're going to have to beat one of those teams. And that means that DC, like we said a, a bit in the earlier segment, DC United is going to have to win almost all of their home games that are remaining. And if they don't win all of those or to give themselves even more cushion, they're going to have to win one or two of their four road games. And out of those, the Montreal impact are one of the best opportunities for them to pull out a road win to cushion themselves, to try and still make the playoffs. So this is a big game. And that, if they win this game, and if they win their other game at home against the Montreal Impact, they're getting doubly close to uh, uh, getting in the playoffs. Uh, the English press and soccer press talks about uh, six-pointers and, and games like that. Uh, you could conceive that this that these two games would be 12-pointers just based on the amount of uh, the swing that is at stake. So. This game and the way that DC United presents themselves is a big indicator of how the rest of the season is going to go. Montreal has had a weird season to date. Like I mentioned, they're in fifth place right now. They've played uh, two more games than than the Revolution. They're actually pretty much on par on games played with the most of the teams in in the conference are on 22-23. Some of them are on 21. DC United... Uh, much further down uh, in, as far as games played. Uh, but they have a ton of losses and a terrible goal differential. Jason, you you were quoting a stat before uh, we we recorded. Uh, what was it? Montreal. Oh. You, you say it. You'll yeah. say it better than I will. Um, the same day that Montreal was losing their 10th game of the season, uh DC United was playing their 10th game of the season. Uh on on March or May 26th, DC drew 1-1 at LAFC in their 10th game of the season. At the same time, Montreal was losing at Minnesota United and it was their 10th loss. Um they were at that point 3 wins, 0 draws and 10 losses. Um so their start was just horrific. But they don't draw games, so Right. Almost all they've got one draw and, and nine wins them, to go with 13 losses. Right. So it, it took them, uh, cause the draw was only, a, um, 
not their last game, but the game before that. Um, so it took them 22 games to end up with a, a single draw. So they're like the anti um, – there was the, the couple years where the Chicago Fire drew like yeah. 18, 19 games. They're like the opposite of that. They are just pathologically opposed to the idea of tying. Uh, they have a minus 10 goal differential through their their games. Uh, I was mis- – I think I was misspeaking on before 20 uh, – 23 games they've played this year. I think I said a different number before. Uh, but in their their five games played more than DC United. How many more goals do you think they have scored than DC United over those five additional games? I originally guessed two uh, when we were off air. I'm going to up it to four. Jason? Uh, I've, I've been thinking four the whole time, so I'm going to stick with it, even though Ben changed to it four. The answer is zero. Both teams have scored 29 goals this year. DC United did it in 18 games. Montreal did it in 23 games. Montreal's allowed allowed four more goals than DC United, but they've scored the same number, which is pretty good for DC, I would say. Um, just an interesting stat. It doesn't mean anything for this weekend. I just thought it was... It means that Montreal is bad. Yeah, it means Montreal's there but, to be taken. But they haven't been that bad since the end of the, since that tenth loss. Um, they since so then they've what got, changed, Jason? Uh, I think they finally figured things out uh, a little bit. Um, they brought in Remy Gard uh, in the off season. He had no MLS experience. He'd coached in France and in England. Um, so they brought him in. And typical of any Montreal offseason in which they didn't make the playoffs, uh, Joey Saputo just started heaving people out the door, uh, no matter who they were. Um, you know, they lost Patrice Bernier. He retired. That's a huge personality that they lost in their locker room. Um, and I think it took them – I think that they expected that the preseason would be enough to um, pick up the pieces and get it, get back cohesive – and obviously that was not the case because they lost 10 of their first 13 games. But I think they finally, they finally got around it. Um, they had, you know, they, they went from losing badly. Um, you know, they, they had a stretch where they lost four, nothing, three, one, five, three, and four, one. Um, but then they started losing like one, nothing uh, here and there. And they started, you know, just drifting in the right direction. There's never any one, moment that galvanized them or anything. I think they just finally started to get, you know, um, guard figured out the league a little bit. I think his players started to get his message a little more. Maybe he changed his message a little, uh, on some specifics to make it a little more simple, or, um, maybe he gave up on some ideas that just weren't working. I'm, I'm not 100% sure because when they were on that losing streak, I, I didn't see that many of those games because it was just like, well, Montreal's terrible. There's nothing to be gleaned from watching them get killed by Atlanta. Um, but they, they got there. They got out of the tailspin. Um, and since then, I mean, some of it is they've played some bad teams. Um, you know, they've they're on a six what is it six wins one draw three losses run um in their last 10 but those wins include wins over orlando twice um orlando's been miserable this was at like the pits of orlando like those two games were basically orlando's uh hitting bottom um they beat colorado 2-1 sound familiar um at home um they beat san jose 
Um, so it's part of it is that their schedule just got easier. Um, they just started having to play the bad teams all of a sudden. Um, but some of it is that they've settled their back four a little bit. Um, it's at one point, it was just like every game, it was a new group of guys. Um, it's still kind of, I mean, there's still a little bit of instability there, but, um, Rod Fani, who they brought in from France, he's 36 or 37. So it was like, oh, he's too old. Um, he has turned out to not be too old. He's a young 36, 37, because he's still got some speed. Um, and that added so, that added quite a bit for them that they weren't so easy to beat over the top. Just having him able to keep up with some of the faster attackers has helped. Um, and in front of them, some of the new guys that they've brought in have started to settle in a little bit. Um, and they've been less... I mean, there was a stretch of time where it was basically Ignacio Piatti and 10 traffic cones. Um, and now they're actually looking a little bit more like a cohesive unit. And with Ignacio Piatti, you don't need to be great all over the rest of the field. As long as you're not terrible, you you might have a chance. And they, they've always got a shot when he's in. And he'll be unless he gets injured between now and then, he's going to be in on this game. Let's talk more about Piatti. Uh, for a few years now, he's been one of the most fun <laughs> players to watch in all of MLS. Um, and it's a little unfortunate. He's stashed up there in Montreal. It's great for them. Um, but it, it he, he's someone that you, you want to go out of your way to watch and Montreal's not a team you go out of your way to watch generally, but what, what is it that he does out there? Cause he's, he, he's that wide playmaker that, that kind of does everything. Yeah. I, I, I mean, he's just, a tremendously gifted player. Um, he's, he's quick too. I think people might underestimate the fact that he's also able to get that, um, that extra distance he needs to do what he's going to do. He's always able to escape his marker when he gets one-on-one. It's not just that he fools the guy with the dribble. It's that he then gets a step on him and actually puts the, puts his move to good use. It's not just beating somebody when it's beating them and getting around them. Um, and I think that is is more than anything. That's what makes him dangerous. It, any anything he does as far as um, assists and taking a shot, it's almost always off of the dribble. Um, and you know, as much as it becomes tempting to say, "Oh, well, then you just have to shut him down the dribble." Like, well, that doesn't work. Uh, no one in the league is good at that. Um, no one in the league has has figured out how to stop Piotti from beating them on the dribble. So. Um, you've got so are to find you saying, are you saying O'Neill Fisher is not going to be the guy who figures out how to stop Piatti on the dribble? Uh, it seems <sighs> unlikely to me to expect that O'Neill Fisher has the, like, uh, the secret formula, um, to, to withstand Ignacio Piatti, uh, that no one else has. But if he does have that, um, he should only share it with his teammates on DC United. But, uh, Otherwise, it's going to be more about keeping Piotti from getting much of the ball because he's one of those players that when he's getting a lot of the ball, he makes things happen. It's not even a um, if you do this against him, then he makes things happen. He'll just find a way to make things happen if he gets enough of the ball. Um, So you really just have to try and restrict them from playing to him more than anything else because stopping him directly is kind of a lost cause. You've got to find a way to keep his influence low by just restricting his touches. So other than try to funnel the ball away from Piotti, what should Ben Olsen be focusing on this week in training? What's the game plan? Uh, I mean, for me, I, I'm, I'm attacking their, their fullbacks. Um, they don't really, they're kind of in the same boat as DC where their fullbacks are just 
not up to um not up to what they would want. They're not playoff quality fullbacks. Um, Dan Lovitz uh, has been their left back all season um, or not all season, but most of the season. Um, And he's still, he was a guy that was a winger in college and was a conversion project by TFC. And at one point wasn't in MLS and um, has stuck around through, you know, hard work and all that, but he's nothing, there's nothing special there. Um, Chris Duvall is out injured. So now um, Juka Raitala, who is a left back by trade and has played center back some of this season, has had to play the last two games at right back. So he's slowly moved his way across, um, just filling in for other people that were hurt. Um, So he's he's playing on the wrong flank for him. He's not all that comfortable on the right. Um, They don't really get a lot of protection either because they've been playing 4-3-3 in the wide forwards, you know, you don't ask Piotti to come back and defend because then you're you're asking your best player to come back and do the grunt work. Um, and Alejandro Silva on the right is also not necessarily inclined to come back and defend very much. So um, Raitala and and Lovitz, or you know whether Raitala stays at right back or they bring somebody else in for whatever reason, they haven't been very good. Um, if you get them out in space, they don't really seem to know what to do. They're not anything special in terms of speed. Um, so I'm looking to attack those guys. Um, I'm looking to attack the channels next to them as well, because I don't know that they're very good at positioning themselves quickly to get into those spots. So, so that those, uh, gaps aren't there. Um, beyond that, I, I think the major thing is to be quick with the ball because their, their central midfield is pretty decent. Um, kind of like in the first segment, we talked about what it's like when you've got Ariola and Canals out there for DC they aren't quite at that level in terms of quickness and that ability to just chew up ground and, and make it very difficult to play through the middle, but they're not bad at it. Um, Samuel Piet is quietly helped them out as a screen for the defense. Um, Safir Tider is not really a traditional number 10. He's more of an eight that scores some goals. Um, he's it's funny. They brought him in before Blair and Jamiley left, but he actually is just a lesser version of Jamiley in a lot of ways. Um, maybe a little more um a little a little less uh, selfish but Jamiley actually made them a lot better last year when he was being selfish when he just called his own number that was for the best um but yeah the overall it it's there's a reason why they've been able to kind of like DC where they've beaten up on the lesser teams and have struggled against the good teams is because they're they're not that good um and they kind of have some of the same problems their fullbacks being a major issue um I would say that the the other thing that comes to mind when I'm just now finishing up is that um, they aren't very good in the air defensively. Um, They've given up a lot of set piece goals, especially earlier in the year. They were like head and shoulders worse than everyone else at defending set pieces early. They've gotten better at that, but it's still not a point of strength. Um, It's kind of like the issue that DC runs into that they ran into against Colorado, for example, where they just don't have a lot of big guys. Um, they they don't have much size on the field and that makes it hard for them to defend set pieces all that well. So um, in this game, it helps DC because it's not, they're not playing against, you know, a six foot seven uh, center back partnered by someone that's six, four. Um, if Burnbaum and Briant, or if, if Opare maintains his spot, then find him. Um, if those guys can win an individual battle on set pieces, United might have a major advantage in this one because, uh, Montreal doesn't do very well in general defending them. And if they're losing the battle against DC's best targets, then 
that's that's a pretty positive scenario. The assumption, I think, is that Wayne Rooney gets the start in this one, which gives us potentially the what what we've been wanting. If United's in the lead, Darren Maddox comes in to help see the game out against tired defenders, uh, which would be pretty awesome to see that game plan actually work because we've been dreaming about it since before Rooney even arrived. Um, ben, anything else you want to add on this? Uh, no, I just think it's an opportunity that they need to take advantage of. They're not going to have very many other road opportunities to win, and they need to to do it. Yeah, this is really a chance to lessen the pressure that's on the rest of the home games. Because yeah. um, any any road points you can bank, you you gotta. It, the pressure's not on you to do it, but it it makes your job easier at home when the pressure really is on. Jason, anything else you want to hit on before we call it an evening? Um, you know, I, I just, I, I feel like we, we maybe overplayed and not just we, but like everyone that covers DC United might have overplayed the importance of beating Colorado. It was more of a litmus test game where it's like, if you can't beat this team, you have no place being in the playoffs. Um, but this game against Montreal, I think lives up to, um, the importance. This is a huge game. Um, because when you look at the, the places these teams are in the standings, Montreal is the team most likely that DC has to pull out of the playoff spot. If they're going to get there, um, they're the team in the weakest spot. They've played the most games. Um, they haven't been very good so far. They give up a ton of goals. They're the vulnerable team in that playoff group. Um, and if DC can even, even taking a, a draw against them, taking two points off of their table, um, that helps because DC's got five games in hands on the on in hand on the impact, um, and they're only eleven points behind them. So if you hold them to a draw, uh, you've got a real chance down the road of of overtaking them. Um, and if you beat them, the chance gets that much better. Um, but I, I feel like there's a there should be significant pressure for United to feel like this is one they can't lose. Um, because if they lose, they're probably not going to catch the, that would put the impact 14 points ahead with, uh, what 15 games to play for DC. They're probably not going to make that up. Um, so they can't let this gap increase between them and Montreal because that's the target right now is, is the, the impact look like the last team that's going to get in. So that's the team you've got to take down. That's it for us this week. Thank you all for listening. Find us at patreon.com slash filibuster if you want to support us financially. Also find us at blackandredunited.com. We're on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast at blackandredu for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Go to iTunes, SoundCloud, uh, Google Play, wherever podcasts are available. Give us ratings and reviews. Uh, I'm told that helps. Uh, in my experience, word of mouth is is also really, really good. So please tell a friend about the show when you're at a, a watch party for the Montreal game or when you're tailgating before the next home game uh, or the one after that or the many, many after that. Uh, for Jason and Ben, thanks again for listening. I'm Adam. We'll talk to you real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. I hate you, Red Bulls. <laughs> My heart is so full.